You're listening to the Road to Wisdom podcast, weaving stories told by wonderful minds about all things motherhood, health, intimacy, politics, nature, and everything in between. Join us on an adventure discovering unique experiences that we can learn from to enhance the ways in which we live. We are your hosts, Chloe and Kishia. Welcome everyone to the Road to Wisdom podcast. Um, today I am delighted to announce that we have Yolanda Norris Clark on. Um, Yolanda is an author, <clears throat> excuse me, and um, oh my god, the the list of birth <laughs> beauty that you bring to the world goes on and on. <laughs> I could sing accolades, but. Um, yeah, today I, I particularly am very excited to have you on, Yolanda, because I discovered you, I think, after my first free birth. I think I discovered the Free Birth Society and that's how I found you. And um, it took it took a little while for me to, like, really get into that. And I was, I was pregnant with my third at the time and I... Listening to you speak was so beautiful. Like there were so many things that I felt like I had a feeling about but I never had the time to really like process that or think through it. And then you come in with these beautiful words perfectly describing the things that I was feeling <laughs> and it was it was really wonderful. Um, and then again during COVID when I was pregnant with – well, we were both pregnant with our fourth mm. um, and I think you were pregnant with your ninth at the time. I think uh, – is it Helio? Helio mm. and my fourth bub poet are only a couple of weeks apart. But watching you go through – the motions of like this big scary pandemic and everything's coming to an end and the world's gonna collapse um and having your thoughts going through that was so relaxing and just empowering so I'm really excited that you're on today <laughs> um obviously too to talk about your beautiful new book portal which is um fierce and I wouldn't have expected anything else coming from you (laughs) (laughs) but it's been fantastic and and um also extremely mm, what's the word triggering triggering yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's making me own my shit which on like levels that I did not even realize I do not own my shit so it's been good it's been quite a transformative read um yeah I'm gonna just keep babbling on if someone doesn't stop me (laughs) (laughs) well we're all pregnant which is also very awesome yeah yeah we've got Um, 15 children almost between us which no 20 20. 20. (laughs) (laughs) sorry my bad 20 and since no one here has had a scan it could be more (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh um it's such an honor to to be here, women. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I was going to say, the honor is all ours. Um, anyway, so I guess where we'd love to start, yo, is completely out of the birth realm. Um, 
I mean, our podcast is heavily birth emphasized at the moment for obvious reasons. And that's something we are going to get, um, get into with you today. But I, reading your book, saw a statement that jumped out at me and it's not the first time I've heard it from you or a few other women that I follow. And it was that you're a recovering um, radical feminist. And I was wondering if we could go into that a little bit because I feel like I definitely relate to that and I think a lot of our audience are on the same path um maybe just starting maybe not there yet and now they're going to start (laughs) but I'd love to go into that with you yeah this is really uh it's 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 interesting that that this issue has um become a point of of interest for a lot of people and I don't really think about this very much anymore because I've been through my process but uh, part of my journey, as they say, uh, certainly was through the in, involved uh, a quite a lengthy period of my life um, where I not so much identified as a radical feminist, but um, but I certainly saw the world and the politics of birth and the politics of motherhood and marriage and relationships through the lens of radical feminism. And as I delved more into um, spirituality and particularly self-ownership and self-responsibility, the the charm of radical feminism really wore, wore thin. And uh, I realized that it had become for me, and I see this reflected in, in the world of feminism generally, really uh, an excuse for perpetual victimhood, to Mm. be blunt. Uh, And I really, I, I had for many, many years blamed men and the patriarchy for the state of the world, the state of birth, all of the injustices that took place, uh, you know, that, that continue to take place. And once I cleared that lens and recognized that actually it's, it's not, it's not man, the, the state of things, the state of birth, the state of everything in the world is actually a co-creation, um, that we all contribute to and that we all in certain ways on certain levels consent to and buy into, uh, I just felt immense freedom. So it's kind of as simple as that. And also my dedication to the victimhood of, of feminism had some pretty negative impacts (laughs) on my marriage, believe it or not. And (laughs) No. <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed it. I wonder, yeah, if anyone right. would relate yeah. to that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my my long-suffering and very sweet, good-natured husband, you know, tolerated a lot of um, years of me really seeing him as, if not necessarily enacting the evils of toxic masculinity, at least representative of them. And it just didn't do me any favor. So this is really, I mean, largely selfish. I just found that my life, my family, 
my experience of the world improved drastically when I was able to set that lens aside and recognize that, um, yeah, there are certain patterns and there is a lot of injustice, of course, that, that occurs in this world. And, um, you know, women have a hard time in certain ways and men have a hard time in certain ways. And, um, and also men and women are very, very different. And I think that there are not only biological differences between men and women, but also some really profound and important spiritual differences. And all of that has a lot to do with um, my experience of birth and mothering as well. So yeah, as I said, it's not really something that I think a lot about now, but that also is indicative of how much mind space that lens took up. Um, you know, my, my fixation on the evils of toxic masculinity and the patriarchy really took a lot of time and energy. And I find that I just don't, I don't, I'm not interested in expending time and energy in that realm anymore. And that I have freed myself up to actually create and nurture my family and experience joy. So, yeah. So beautiful. Yeah. And really well said. And I think that's a theme that I mean, it just cuts across so many different social and cultural aspects of where we're at today and obviously a massive theme in your book as well, which is that, I guess, what our perpetual state of victimhood and how, I mean, I listen to a lot of people like Gatsart and Jordan Peterson talking about the, what is it, the points for... Um, like victim points that you get that you score like socially and therefore you can say or feel or um, it justifies certain actions and behaviours. So, yeah, it's something that we see a lot and something that we're hell-bent on trying to debunk so that we do have that freedom to not be victims anymore and have control of our lives and everything else that... Basically, I read in Portal, people, so <laughs> get this one. But we'd lo- I'd really, really love to go um, from there into, yeah, our addiction to drama and the victim triangle because it's not something that I've ever <laughs> – so little backstory. I've always been able to look at other people <laughs> and be like <laughs> – Oh mate, you're in like a victimhood. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're you're in a real state of vi- like you need to stop. Like if you're always going to be the victim, like that's that's really you know. Anyway, I never actually said it, but in my mind, and then reading through the victim triangle, which I didn't know about um, until <laughs> Portal. You're like, oh I'm shit! Like, oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I do it too. <laughs> it's me. So yeah, when you were describing the hero, that hero card, um, or the hero point of the triangle, I was like. <gasps> oh my god (laughs) it's me it's me it's me it's me (laughs) and I was discussing this with my husband because he falls into that as well um but yeah it was definitely a big realization and it's just a place where I guess we can take ownership again when we understand these but I'd love to go into yeah just the 
the dedication we have to drama and victimhood. But also like it would be good to talk about like how that inhibits us from having like that ideal beautiful birth outcome. Yeah. 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 So we're going to, we're going to talk about the, the drama triangle, victim consciousness and, and how our dedication to drama can impact our birth experience. Um, yeah, you know, I, uh, I was introduced to the concept of the drama triangle quite a few years ago, but it was really my best friend and, co-creatrix Emily Saldea, who has done so much incredible work uh, in this area specifically. And the way that Emily expands on the drama triangle and explains it is really quite, quite masterful. And um, it is true, absolutely, I think, that, uh, that the hero version of victim consciousness is often the most insidious. So it's pretty familiar to most of us when we're, you know, whining and crying and, you know, overtly playing the victim. But uh, the gesture of heroism and and the way that um, over-delivering and taking more responsibility than is actually ours and fawning and kind of just... uh, Spreading ourselves thin as women. All, there's so many different versions and ways that women especially hero ourselves and each other. Um, and that comes up so much in the realm of birth. And so, yeah, it is a lot easier to see these dynamics in other people. And um, cultivating a willingness to see this kind of thing happening in ourselves and in our own lives is really very, very humbling. And what I've found myself is that I'm pretty much on the drama triangle, you know, 98 or 99% of the time. Um, And what most of us do unconsciously is we kind of jump from one point on that drama triangle to another. We're whining and crying, and then we're overextending ourselves in order to, um, you know, feel better about our lives. We're turning other people into victims so that we can save them and, you know, aggrandize ourselves in in whatever way. Um, We're sacrificing ourselves as mothers. We're martyring ourselves as mothers or or in our our jobs or whatever, which is another form of, of heroism. Or we're blaming other people or we're blaming ourselves. And all of that um, represents versions of of victimhood. So I think there's something really valuable about expanding this conversation around what victimhood really consists of and what it looks like, because it's a lot more than most people would immediately recognize. Um, and making excuses is not just reflexive for most of us. It's not just uh, mirrored in the wider culture or mirrored in our parents, um, it's actually encouraged. Mm. And it's certainly encouraged within the world of industrial birth, whether that's obstetrics or medical midwifery. Um, And women are actively, yeah, incentivized in certain ways to outsource our personal responsibility for 
our births. In fact, taking full responsibility for our birth choices is seen as, well... Irresponsible. Dangerous. <laughs> Irresponsible, but but in certain cases, even verging on criminal, mm. right? I mean, it's 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 nearly criminalized in, in some places, but it's definitely seen as irresponsible. So, you know, the entire apparatus of industrial birth is really on so many levels, uh, a distortion of what I see as the, the truth. Um, and, and an inversion of, of reality in so many ways, because to my mind, taking responsibility for my birth choices and really for for my life and for the lives of my children is you know assuming a, a, my autonomy uh, claiming my autonomy claiming my sovereignty as a free human being uh, which i believe that each of us is indelibly according to natural law is really the height of responsibility and yet that is inverted in the system and so uh yeah and that's that's an example of the way that victimhood is promoted and promulgated and encouraged in so many ways, especially in, in birth. But this goes for really every aspect of our health as well. And I, I see the birth process as really just an extension of another form of birthright that we human beings possess. And that's just our jurisdiction over the process of life and our, our biological functions in general and our inherent capacity to heal spontaneously even and death as well. So, you know, the two primary portals, birth and death are, are highly controlled. Um, but the good news, of course, is that we have the option always of simply stepping outside of that inverted matrix and and claiming those processes for our own. And I'm happy to be an example of how uh, simple that is, really. And that's also another area where where it's very tempting to fall into this victimhood uh, pattern, right? I hear a lot of things from women around you know, really wanting to have a home birth or wanting to have a free birth, but, you know, there's all these excuses as to why. And I mean, I'm not the victimhood police, so I can't determine whether or not those, those reasons are true. But for most of us, for most women, um, it, it really is just a matter of deciding that, that we're going to experience biology as it unfolds mm. and then having our babies. You know, it's really not, doesn't necessarily need to be more complicated than that. And this is something that we've actually spoken about on the podcast before where um, I think it was with Brooke where her second birth was a free birth as well. And we were talking about how, yeah, you can go into the system and then have a finger to point at. But ultimately I think when, you, when you're pointing at someone else and blaming or whatever, you know, they did this and that's why these outcomes happened. There's, I think there's always a really deep knowing that you, it, it was you, it was on you. Like you could have done something and you could have changed that outcome and yeah. So, I mean, for me, 
when I think about it that way, I'm like, well, skip the middleman. <laughs> and then I can just take full responsibility and I can make those decisions. And it's very clear about what's, what's going to play out or if it does play out, like where I could have mm. done better. Um, yeah. yeah. I feel like we're always talking about this, like, especially me, cause I've had so many different birth experiences mm. and you know, I've, I'm always constantly and it's like, well, if if I was aware of that or I knew that I could have made that decision better and like it's so it would have been, you know, so many times I've been tempted and I, I, I even have been like, you know, if if my birth keeper just didn't do that, then that wouldn't have happened. But ultimately I know that the only way to go forward is to do it alone mm. <laughs> and have full responsibility for that. So, yeah, it's easy to default there. It is, but then also liberating when you can step out of that and mm. and be like, oh wait, actually, I have I have somewhat of a say in this, <laughs> or the only say, which mm. I mean, in most cases, that's it. Um, yeah. Well, from there, actually, there were so many points I want to touch on, but <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and blame my baby brain for blanking. <laughs> That's not really taking self-responsibility, Keisha. <laughs> Blaming my baby. But because, you know, my baby's part of me, it is. Um, yeah. <laughs> I know this is something that I'm like, I really shouldn't like blame my loss of words on baby brain because I look at you, Yolanda, and you are like the absolute, like you always have the words. And I'm like <laughs> 10 babies in, she's still going with all the words. Like how? <laughs> No, no, I, I feel it too. But I, I think the reframe is that all of our energy and, and our intellectual capacity is going towards the, um, yeah, the, the, the poetic and watery and wavery aspects of creation and not so much the, you know, type A format. That's, I certainly feel that myself. I feel like I'm not at my most articulate and I'm <laughs> Sweaty and huffing and puffing and just, <laughs> anyway, you're getting me at my rawest. Most I think I have to <laughs> no more podcasting. Oh, oh well, more. look, if it's any consolation, we are also sweaty, huffy and puffy and we're nowhere near as close to, <laughs> to birthing. So um, anyway, we I would love to actually delve into and this is going to be total like sidetrack, but um you described birth as just an extension of sex and that was something that hit really nicely for me um, because something like sex is something that I really enjoy. Intimacy, it's something that we talk about quite a bit on the podcast. Um, and I actually then thought about it and I'm like everyone I know that has simple, straightforward, easy births and there's no drama and they don't like you never hear the people who have those births like oh my god and it was so painful and this was so hectic like it's it's always a really like yeah I just actually you do this yeah well, we just had some contractions and then I had a baby <laughs> like it's really and it's just straightforward yeah, it's really I tried straight to explain that birth my births the other day to <laughs> somebody I was like yeah that is Boring births. I mean, great, but boring. Just pretty <laughs> straightforward, standard, like it's a textbook, I guess, birth. They're like, 
Oh. <laughs> like expecting some more dramatic story, but no, it's not. But I've noticed like a bit of a pattern. Someone will prove me wrong while I say this, but I've noticed a pattern that those who are just more comfortable with their sex and, you know, f- open and, you know, I don't know, sexual beings but without being overtly like I'm a sexual being. Like This is, you know, I, do you know I'm struggling to describe it but they're just people who are comfortable with sex and therefore, you know, I guess really comfortable with birth and I'd never made that um, distinction until you linked the two and I was like, oh, wow, yeah, like it's having a good relationship with sex and intimacy and your partner, I see how that could then give you a good relationship with your birth and, mm. I mean, creating the baby, but then down the line, birth and pregnancy and all of that. So I really loved um, – I love that you made that link for for us, but I'd love to like try and expand on that for our viewers – Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think on one hand, that connection is pretty obvious to most people, you know, penis plus vagina equals baby. But I also don't think that a lot of people have really fully allowed the, 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 the deep knowing of what that implies for the birth process to, to really percolate into their consciousness and and actually it was quite a revelation for me because I had been aware that some weirdos had orgasmic births (laughs) but it it never really was kind of part of my you know it really felt like it this was kind of a category of births that it didn't really have anything to do with me. You know, it wasn't really my, my interest, um, which sounds so strange to say now that, that, uh, that I have had a birth that I would describe as, as totally orgasmic. Um, and in that experience, it, it seemed as though I was sort of gifted this illumination that, that birth literally is an extension or part of the continuum of sexual expression and the sexual experience um, in a way that is so incredibly pure and so uh, so I mean I almost it's hard for me to describe this but I actually think there's also a very important relationship between this realization that I, I've had and that a lot of other women have had as well, um, that birth is sex and the kinds of forms of sexualized abuse that occur in the obstetric realm. Um, and I think that one of the reasons for that is actually because the birth experience can be such a source of incredible power and insight. And if women were to actually discover how um, potent the birth experience is and how, how sexually and sensually charged birth is, that uh, this would have major implications on all of the power structures in the world, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So yeah, birth really is the source of all, not just life, but but I see birth as the source of the the perspectives and the lenses and the worldviews that have become normalized because in the birth process, uh, we mothers and our babies are profoundly imprinted by the kind of underlying um, messaging that occurs through the intensity of the kind of experience that we're having on a, on a spiritual level. And so when mother or baby, mother and baby are birthing themselves through orgasmic bliss into our new lives together, um, that's a very different experience from surviving intense trauma, which is what so many mothers and babies go through. So yeah, I think that this, uh, the connections between birth and sex are not just interesting and exciting on a personal level. And, you know, isn't it nice that I could have had, you know, that I had an orgasmic birth and, you know, this is available to everyone. It's, 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 it is that, but it's also much more profound and much more spiritual and much more impactful on the collective and, and also highly political as well. So I think that this is an important topic in, in many ways. Mm. And I'd love to link that back to like, I mean, everything you just said about birth, we can also experience in sex. So if you haven't had babies and you are working on that and like practicing that with your partner and you're in that realm where you're taking each other to other levels of pleasure and realms of experience then it's almost practice for (laughs) being able to have a really epic birth (laughs) but yeah and and I think that you know we can I look I'd be I don't know if this is true I'm just gonna talk smack right now but I feel like if you're doing those things with your partner and you have experienced those things when it comes to then procreating and gestating and then birthing, you would be more inclined to move away from systems and you would be more trusting in your body and having had those like spiritual experiences, mm. yeah, for lack of a better term. Um, she doesn't know the English word. No, I'm <laughs> practising my Italian. Um, <laughs> We, yeah, we get, we can carry that through and, you know, into parenting as well. So it's, um, I think it's a really beautiful way of looking at just that mm. it's, you know, creating a human's an extension of your love. And if it's cre- like that child's created in a beautiful, mm. loving, spiritual space, then they're going to come out hopefully in that exact same space. And yeah. Well, why we're talking about our partners and sex and intimacy and birth Mm. I'd love to talk about men not having a place in birth (laughs) which is the opposite of what we're saying Um, because I know you've spoken on that about your husband Lee really not having a place or a role I should say in birth Um, so I'd love to expand on that because we've spoken a bit lately about kind of just taking the responsibility because you know we're trying to all find this new groove of 
you know, how we want to birth and who we want around and who we want there. And often, you know, like both of us have gone into previous births, just putting a lot of that responsibility on our partners to be the the keepers of the space and the energy and make sure that, you know, Look the kids are good and this is good go and then. this could go wrong. And um, yeah, I think we've landed lately that it just doesn't feel right to have that responsibility on them. Um, so yeah, I'd love to expand a little bit more on, yeah, your, your, what you perceive to be the right role for the man in birth. Mm, this is a, a very important and, and I think quite charged and possibly triggering conversation actually. Um, and I want to be, I want to try to be really intentional with my, with my words it's, I wouldn't say that I don't think that men have a role or that they have, or that they don't have responsibilities. So I actually feel quite strongly that my, my husband does have a very important role in my births. Um, and he also has very important responsibilities, but they're not the same responsibilities that I have. My responsibility is to myself and by extension my baby because we are one um and my responsibility is birth and my husband has no responsibility for that because how could he (laughs) he's not giving birth it's quite really quite simple but he does have an enormous responsibility to me and that responsibility is based on our contracts together, you know, our relational contracts. So, you know, our fundamental marriage contract, and I don't mean contracts on paper, I mean, spiritual contracts. And, um, and so his responsibility is to love me and to support me and to do exactly what I want him to do (laughs) during my birth experiences. And I would also say that I think his his responsibilities include, you know, I mean, taking care of our kids, and that's part of our normal day to day life. So my birth, my births are very much just an extension of our lives as well, and and I think that comes into play. So just by virtue of the fact that I I'm uh, well practiced at this, um, I. Like birth is also not really a, a big deal. I mean, it is a huge deal and I'm so excited to give birth to this baby, but but in terms of how we structure our family life and how we kind of set up the birth space, like there's nothing of that in my life at this point. I'm just going to wake up one morning and have a baby or go to sleep one night and have a baby. You know, there, there's no big mm. production around it. Um, but nonetheless, when the time comes... Uh, I think that one of the sort of special responsibilities that my husband has outside of just the day-to-day workings of our life is actually to, to really protect the, the perimeter, you know, to really step into a, a, a very important masculine role that, you know, again, he, he occupies all the time, but there is an elevated sense of gravitas to, 
to this um, to this role when I'm when I'm birthing. I really want to feel like he is holding that perimeter space. Um, but no, he has no responsibility for me or for the outcome, uh, which I always just assume is going to be great because why would it not be? You know, I don't really spend a lot of time thinking about um, the negative projections um, in the same, in exactly the same way that I don't, you know, dwell on the possibility of having a major car accident when I drive to the park. Um, you know, birth mm -hmm. is very simple and, um, and, and there's just, there's not a lot of fear. So that, that all uh, comes into it. But um, I do think that I, I do see out there a lot of, a lot of concern and a lot of negotiation and a lot of um, anxiety actually on the part of many couples who, who might be new to free birth or who might be new to sovereignty and autonomy and self-responsibility. Um, and a lot of those wires get crossed when it comes to kind of determining who has responsibility for what aspect of the way that this is all going to play out when I think a lot of that is just kind of unnecessary overcomplication of, of things. Like I'm the woman and the baby's in my body. And so I choose how and where I give birth, obviously. And my husband, his job is to support that and to make it as easy and seamless and straightforward for me as possible. But he can't make those decisions because the baby's coming out of my body. Like it, it really. I don't. I don't think it needs to be mm. <laughs> much more com complex than that. Um, but I think this actually comes back to your first question around feminism because we have a lot of cultural confusion around who's who owns what and what sort of realms of life belong to men versus women and what it is to be a man and how how men can um, properly support women, how women can optimally and, and rightfully support men and, you know, whose business we're in and who's responsible for what. So I think that that, you know, this is part of a much larger conversation. Mm, and yeah. one of the things that I've, that I really honor and appreciate and, and love so much about my husband is that um, he is so secure in his masculinity that it wouldn't even cross his mind to question my authority over birth. Um, and I think that a lot of men who are not secure in their masculinity confuse what it is to be secure in their masculinity or confuse what it is in their minds to be masculine. And they erroneously believe that what that means is that they have some kind of ownership over the birth decisions that their partner might make or, or that they have some form of responsibility for the birth experience. And that too, I think, is actually an inversion. Um, men who are really confident in, their cell, in themselves and who um, 
yeah, who are secure in their masculinity are capable of seeing uh, what aspect of the experience actually belongs to them. And it, it's not the birth itself. And, it's, and they have no claim over their partner's body, obviously. So... Yeah, this is a big, I think that's the exact knock. answer I was looking yeah. for <laughs> because it's their role. Like their role is to actually find that within themselves mm. so they can so seamlessly step into a space that just really authentically supports us as women and pregnant women and, you know, whatever role we choose to be in life and home. And, yeah, I think that is so much of the part that is missing and mm. that is the message like that's that's what I needed to hear I think that's I think the answer too if we're coming from the system which I mean me and my husband have where he's like well, our first baby was born in hospital and an experience that I feel very grateful for because it was completely void of intervention I mean unless, you know, people talking around you, you consider intervention, which I do, but like the actual <laughs> intervention, the, the interventions. Um, but, you know, in that, in that experience, he was kind of shifted to the side, but then would have felt a pull to need to be doing something as well. And like, yeah, I've, sorry, these are new thoughts. So apologies, people, but like, <laughs> Yeah, if you're coming from that environment where, you know, maybe you've done a course beforehand, which we didn't, um, and, you know, your partner is like, okay, I've got to advocate and I've got to be doing this and I've got to, you know, have so many different like managerial roles more or less with all the different people that are in the room that are going to be touching my wife or partner, um, that it's – you know, there's like some really strong things there. But if you're going into it in a sovereign space where it's just you two and your family and like mm. maybe well, you've an extra pair of hands. Yeah, it's like, well, you know, what do they do? Like people then – and we did this. It was like a shift of, okay, so I need you to look out for this and this and this and this if they're going wrong with me. But ultimately he's not going to be able to see a prolapse cord as we birth like a birth at night in the dark so things like that like it's actually more on me and feeling into those sensations and mm. yeah I, I guess navigating those responsibilities is it it is simple like once you're out of the system it's simple it's not mm. they this is on you you've got to now be the midwife it's you're actually just my husband and I'm my midwife <laughs> essentially mm. so yeah, yeah sorry cut you off no i i i you've covered it finally okay. yeah <laughs> i got there in um, the end. <laughs> but something that you just mentioned a lot in your in what you were just saying you brought up the word fear a lot and i feel like fear is obviously a super normal feeling and but when you're pregnant it's like sometimes I me personally will go in and out of like is this an insecurity is this a fear is this intuition is this a message for me should I act on it or is it just fear and it's kind of like this and I know you speak about it in your book and it would just be nice to kind of expand on the different like just differentiating or not sitting with them or not attaching to them and yeah even kind of more tapping in and understanding some of those messages and fears 
I think developing uh, a more fine-tuned discernment around um, different kinds of fear is something that we can practice. And uh, fear as well, uh, just like victimhood, is also strongly encouraged and cultivated and promoted in our culture. And so for me, a big part of shifting my relationship to fear and and particularly unproductive kind of anxiety looping fear. I get that a lot. Which I experienced a lot (laughs) as a new mother. Yeah. Um, That had a lot to do with changing my relationship to this culture and, and actually consciously disavowing my kind of my consumption of various forms of culture and, um, and propaganda and, uh, and then really delving into this idea of, of, um, of crafting a discipline around fear. Um, so I think practicing setting aside fear, practicing discernment around fear really does go hand in hand with these deeper forms of of shifting our, our consciousness. So, you know, the more I learned about how industrial birth practices work and and the the, the underlying impetus behind these practices and um and also just how birth actually does work and how simple and straightforward birth is um, alongside uh, establishing, um, yeah, just some simple methods for choosing how to set aside these fears that were not actually based in reality. So again, I think we're strongly encouraged to to really spin out and to um live our lives in a state of fear so much so that we therefore in response to this kind of constant um, nervous system overload, we succumb to the temptation to outsource our authority. And uh, there's a big connection there in terms of culture, how feel, how, how fear feels and, and the outsourcing responsibility. And so all of those things I think work in conjunction and the more, that I practiced disavowing victimhood and really claiming self-responsibility, the better I was able to uh, interrogate my fears and to really midwife myself through um, just simply setting those fears aside. And that stuff comes up for me now. Um, But what I've noticed over time and through practice it's not that I no longer feel any fear at all, although I certainly feel less, um, but rather the, the, the real revelation is that I've been able to um, minimize the, the time and energy that's involved in simply setting my fears aside. So I can do that really quick, quite quickly now. You know, I experience a moment of fear. I acknowledge it. I ask myself if there's any basis for this in reality. Nope. And then I don't need to focus on that anymore. And I reorient my attention 
to the likely and desired outcome. And I know that may sound simplistic, but um, it does work and we can get better at it. Mm. Absolutely. And I think it is a practice too. Noted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start practicing. <laughs> oh. Oh, I, um, I'd love to go into, uh, I have a little quote from your book, so I'm going to read it. Um, because this is something that we've spoken on a little bit as well, which you say um, like people who go into God will decide. We, we live in an area where it's not so much God but it's like source or the universe is more the terminology. Um, and, you know, people like to believe in astrology a lot and this can often lead to, you know, well, it, it's, it's in my stars that this is going to happen or I'm not going to go to so and so and so. And... In your book, you wrote that, um, yeah, people will say God will decide. And you say it's an irksome, ineffectual and frankly lazy forms of spiritual bypassing, which I <laughs> read. And I don't think I've had such a good laugh in so long because I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Louder. <laughs> yes. But it is. And I think if we can if we can see that and see that it is, it's spiritual, like, you know, saying, you, you know, completely offloading any responsibility to it's out of my hands. It's up to the universe. Like it, <laughs> it puts you in a victimhood state. So um, bringing it back to no, we have, we have power in, in our choices and we have power in, in, making decisions that are going to subsequently lead to certain desires and we have the choice to work to not feel or fear or you know feel pain it was where I was going that but like fear as well like we have those choices to not I guess when a fear comes up for me I'm like okay, am I going to dramatise this? Am I going to sit on it? Am I going to like feed it? Or it, do, I, do I like take a few deep breaths again, like you said, see where I'm at? Is it, does it have any basis in reality? And then move on. And it, this is for everything, I guess, if you want to achieve anything in life, but I guess we'll stick to the birth space here. You also have those options. So I, um, I did want to thank you for that because it was a good little giggle. <laughs> But also I'd love to go into the like the spiritual bypassing of offloading our responsibility and um, and how we can actually bring bring it back to making those choices and it, like choosing is a massive um, theme in your book, being able to choose a pain-free and orgasmic experience through birth. So, um, yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I really do believe and, and know that the greatest gift that we have been endowed by God, source, the divine, however you conceive of it, and, you know, this is obviously my personal view, um, is the gift of free will. And 
I think most people understand that concept in terms of the material world and, you know, where we choose to, to go or what we choose to physically do. But um, things really shifted for me dramatically when I started to actually recognize and accept and incorporate into my reality badly, by the way. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I'm really, really bad at this. Let me tell you, but, um, but, but I am at least now aware, which I, I actually dislike quite strongly. Um, self-awareness is awful. <laughs> you know, like I can, I can see now that not only am I choosing, you know, what to eat for breakfast, but I'm actually always in the process of choosing where I focus my attention and, and my thoughts as well. And that is, it's very humbling. Um, but also that realization has changed everything for me. And this corresponds with the idea that everything that exists in our lives, everything that we experience in our lives is the proof of our creative capacity. Um, we have chosen everything in our lives. And of course, you know, people are born into a variety of different circumstances. Um, but I even at this point believe that we, on a soul level, to some extent in some mysterious way that can't necessarily be fully known to us in this human incarnation, um, that we actually choose the circumstances of our births and our parents and our bodies and and the lives that we enter this world into. So, you know, that's all pretty, um, pretty esoteric stuff. But um, yeah, I think that we have so much more power than we have been led to believe and that we are the continuous co-creators of our experience. And that doesn't, I don't think, preclude the idea of of the power of the universe or the, the power of God, or that there is a, a greater power outside of, of us as individual human beings. But we certainly do have enormous agency. And, and as I said, far more than, than, than we think that we do. Um, and the spiritual bypassing is really interesting. It, uh, it's, it's everywhere and it's very tempting. Um, but I, what I see in every major world religion and, um, and it is a, is a common thread around this notion that, um, we actually can choose. And that, and that, and I also think that every person has access to, um, an inner knowing around what is actually right for us in a given moment. In every single moment, I think there's a path that is available to us that represents our highest self and, and our greatest purpose in life. And um, I certainly have not always taken that right path. Um, and I don't think, you know, I think we all falter. Um, but uh, the knowing that choosing is always available to us, even in terms of just the most microscopic inflections of our thoughts is just such a radically powerful concept. And 
And once we're aware of it, we can't really get out of it. You know, we, there, there, this again is a practice. Um, and it can be incredibly confronting and humbling to notice ourselves falling into victimhood and excuse making and, and blaming and outsourcing and bypassing. Um, and it certainly happens a lot, but, uh, but it's, it's exciting to me, actually. The more I am able and willing to take responsibility for every single aspect of my life, the more every single aspect of my life has transformed for the better in, in some really significantly quite dramatic ways. So I highly recommend. I do. <laughs> we will also be doing that as well. <laughs> Actually, it kind of just makes me think about something that you've, you had a, I think you had a workshop recently and I know that you've in the past discovered GNM as well and I have too and I think that that's such a missing part to like that self-awareness and you know that paradigm absolutely exploding thought process of you know you create these conflicts that manifest as physical disease and then you know that's just a whole another way of looking at it but I know that you I know that there was a lot of talk when you when you said that morning sickness is your own problem <laughs> people were like <laughs> what <laughs> I've been you know suffering and it's and I would just love to like I don't I know we don't need to get into GNM totally but I would love to just break that down a little bit I know it's your second love <laughs> I know cool I'm, I just like I see it as there's so much truth in the offering of GNM and so I'm really fascinated with how that relates to pregnancy and birth those you know almost everybody experiences that and so I wonder mm. You know, when we're talking about GNM, how are we responsible for that, so to speak? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just a small um, question so for what, you. <laughs> I only do small yeah, questions. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll speak for from my, my own experience. Um, what I recognized about every single health issue or form of dis-ease that I've, I've had in my life. And I'm 42 years old and I've gone through a good number of physical issues like most of us do. Um, uh, the conversation around taking full responsibility for the lives that we've created and every single experience that we've had, uh, for me, extends to literally every single aspect of my life. So I've gone through, um, you know, abusive relationships and, um, you know, victimizations of various kinds, um, as well as forms of dis-ease uh, in my body. And what I realize now, and this has been just the most liberating um, uh, form of recognition. Um, what I've realized is that I chose each and every one of those experiences. And that doesn't mean that I chose them consciously or that I wanted these events to happen in exactly the way that they did, but that uh, I certainly co-created these experiences through the variety of choices that I made that led up to each of those uh, kind of cataclysms in my life. And that when it comes to dis-ease specifically, whether it's morning sickness, which 
I've experienced or, you know, infections, surgeries, whatever. Uh, there has always been a part of me that has received some kind of benefit or payoff or cookie as a result of having manifested this form of dis-ease. And um, yeah, what I've learned through the work of uh, Rika Geert Hammer, um, the late doctor, German doctor who developed, uh, who, who, who observed and this sort of phenomena of the connection between the brain, the psyche, and the symptoms that we experience as disease. Um, our bodies are infinitely wise and that our symptoms don't just come from nothing. They don't come from nowhere. And that in a way there really is no illness or sickness in the way that we've been entrained to believe. Uh, instead, what is occurring when we experience symptoms is that our bodies are simply in communication with us and our bodies are expressing uh, the truth of what is happening under the surface. And our bodies are in the process of actually healing from various forms of conflict. So essentially what this means is that every form of dis-ease, discomfort in the body uh, is actually the body rectifying misalignment. And misalignment happens um, most often when, for whatever reason, we experience something in our lives that pulls us off course, that pulls us out of integrity, that threatens our sense of survival on a multitude of levels. And what occurs at that point is a kind of course correction or um, a form of, uh, I mean, it's, it's actually the healing itself, right? So the symptom is the healing process initiating in our bodies. Um, but what can and often does happen, and this is, this is very much the case when it comes to um, recurring symptoms, so you know, allergies, chronic illnesses, uh, autoimmune illnesses, things like that, um, what, what that often consists of is it's almost a kind of, um, well, it's a re-triggering of, of a psychic association that we've made with certain um, aspects of our experience. But what I have found is also at play is often a kind of addiction to the drama of it all. I think that mm. one of the reasons that people struggle to um, fully process a healing cycle is because we there's there's a payoff there's a payoff in terms of either attention or an opportunity to rest or um, or some form of validation and I've noticed that in my own life that's been absolutely true and usually, um, 
the resolution of a healing cycle in my experience has only really occurred when I've been willing to acknowledge what it is that I get out of um, identifying with this form of, of illness. Um, and I'm able to, to release that. And uh, again, this is very cultural. Um, I think one of the, the main reasons that people are so frequently sick and that there's so much uh, struggle out there um, that, that so many people struggle with, with again, chronic illnesses and recurring illnesses has to do with um, the, the many, many ways that the identification with our illness offers us forms of social and cultural validation and attention and um, entertainment even. Uh, and that is so very much connected to uh, the overall topic of oh, victimhood mm. culture in general. Yeah. yeah, people don't want to be well. In many cases, mm. I think that there's we 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 become so attached to uh, our identity as a person who is sick or as a sufferer or as someone who. Um, who has or is or represents their chronic illness, that there's often a lot of fear and trepidation and discomfort around taking the step into um, well, the loss of identity is important, but but then <laughs> identity is also wrapped up in the actions that we take in the world as well, right? So in order to complete a healing cycle, in in most case, in, in every case, I would say, what is first required is a willingness to actually become a new person. It 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 involves a rebirth of sorts, whether, you know, and that can occur in, in small ways, um, you know, in 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 forms of dis-ease that are not as entrenched. But when it comes to uh, you know, longer term issues that someone might be might have lived with for for some time, then that rebirth is going to be more significant. It's going to involve more investigation and more honesty and more openness and more vulnerability and um, a willingness to, yes, repudiate victimhood and to uh, set aside the various forms of denial that keep us uh, looped into these cycles. And this is a hugely popular concept in certain circles. And then in other circles, as I'm sure you know, what I'm talking about would be interpreted as the height of victim blaming. And that also represents a really interesting form of commitment. Like if, if, this, if, if hearing this is triggering and strikes a person as victim blaming, then that is inevitably true for them and this can never work, you know? Mm. Um, but what I find so interesting is that there is a small percentage of people who will hear this and it'll make sense to them and they will be the ones who will follow the path of um, claiming the power that they have inherently as I know this to be true. 
um, to allow their bodies to complete the healing cycle. And it, it's as simple as birth. Mm. These are, they're two sides of the same coin. And I think that people are terrified of birth or of sovereign, spontaneous, liberated birth for exactly the same reasons that they're terrified of the prospect of just allowing their bodies to heal without participating in the kind of hero victim um, symptom management pharmacology culture, right? It's just such a foreign concept Mm. to most people as human beings that our bodies are designed to heal, that Mm. healing is inherent, that healing is instinctive, that healing can happen more effectively, I think, in the absence of that inverted uh, industrial medical matrix than with the supposed support of it. I mean, I don't really know anyone, quite honestly, in my life who I cannot, who I can truly say by my observation has ever been helped by the medical industrial complex. Literally every interaction I've ever had with them, which Mm. hasn't been extensive really, with some exceptions, has been destructive to my health. And as I see it, that entire industry, it was designed from its very inception to damage people's health while telling us that we need them and that we're dependent on them. Mm, mm. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I love your perspective on that. And I agree with it. <laughs> Do you while, really? While I also <laughs> get Gene really triggered by it. I d- and I, I am also a gene and ste- skeptic, but I'm also, <laughs> I also tried it the other day and it worked. So uh, you're winning me over. <laughs> oh my gosh, I know. Um, yeah. Amazing. Well, we'll let you go. Yolanda, <laughs> I feel like we've taken plenty of your time and we've, um, thank you for unpacking, uh, some of those questions and mm. I guess phrases for us. It's, it's always really reassuring, I guess, mainly reassuring to hear over and over again that we are designed in such a way that we can birth and not in pain and agony and, power through but in like we're designed as human beings to be able to experience pleasure as well so um thank you so much for bringing that into our realm in this especially in this time of life (laughs) and I think for many of our listeners who are following along and either on the conception journey or Mm. also pregnant everyone seems to be very pregnant at everyone the moment. that's hanging around <laughs> us is pregnant at the moment Everyone's i don't pregnant. know what we're brewing up around here but <laughs> got some fertility <gasps> pheromones going <laughs> <laughs> um yeah well before we let you go Yolanda, where can our listeners find you to get more oh it's been such a such such fun to chat with with you women thank you so much for having me again and uh, the, probably the best place to find me in the public realm is um, is on Instagram. That's where I tend to rant and rave um, most often. And I'm at Housewife on Instagram. And my website is yolandanorris-clark.com. And I would love to gift you women some goodies that you can share with your audience. So I'll, um, I'll have my wonderful assistant, Olivia, uh, send 
send some things your way. I'm, I'm, um, launching the live version of my online course that's also called portal and that's happening in February. So amazing. Give your audience maybe Mm -hmm. two spaces. Yes. Oh, that would be so beautiful. I know that Look, we got a lot of engagement when we said we were interviewing you. So I'm sure there are so many people that will jump on that. So thank you. That's very generous. Thank you so much. Goodbye, everyone. Thanks again. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Road to Wisdom podcast. To join the journey, you can follow us on Instagram at theroadtowisdom.podcast and at www.theroadtowisdompodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We look forward to seeing you next week with more juicy content.